Hello all, Chris here, and welcome to this week's edition of the Make It Podcast. And this week we chat with director, writer, cinematographer, and editor Spencer Glover. I had so much fun talking with Spencer, who was kind enough to make time for us on a set break, and uh, actually had this conversation from his car. Uh, Because of that, fair warning, the audio isn't perfect, but I promise you the content is. So now a little bit more background on Spencer. Spencer is a Nashville-based creative recognized for his filmmaking work, including short films, pilot episodes, music videos, and commercials. His ability to direct, edit, or serve as cinematographer aids him in creating content that is fully realized in vision and skill. He currently serves as an editor for Yamaha Entertainment Group, specializing in branding and advertising for the company, and is now working on his first feature-length film under his company, Room 108. You'll be able to see his upcoming short, Message Red, in the spring of 2019 as well. So, Without further ado, I give you a man of many skills, a liver of many dreams, director, writer, editor, and cinematographer, Spencer Glover. You're listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps aspiring professionals in film Get where they're going faster by dissecting the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives in the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley. Hey, good folks. This is Spencer Glover, filmmaker, director, cinematographer, editor, anything that pays the bills. I'm excited to be here with you all today. Speaking with my main man, it's Chris on the Make It Podcast. Man, Chris, what's up? Uh, nothing much. I uh, have had a full day, but that's just uh, par for the course. So, yeah. <laughs> likewise, likewise. <laughs> you know, and I'm and I'm so thankful that you found the time to do this um, podcast and to have this conversation. With me, you're 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 in a parking lot right now. I, I am in a parking lot. <laughs> this is this is your de- you have serious dedication to the craft. Man. Thank you. <laughs> the only I, I think the only uh, the only thing that would have been more serious is if I was actually driving while doing this podcast. That would have been a real test. <laughs> but we want to we want to be safe. We want to be safe. So I pulled over. I'm in a parking lot. It's uh, fairly secluded. So if anything happens, you know, just, just be ready to dial up 911 or, or something, you know, just, just keep me safe, man. Keep me safe. The good news <laughs> is that, that anything that happens to you, this, this whole recording will be admissible in court and we'll find your, <laughs> we'll find your killer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it'll, it'll all be on tape. It'll be like the ending of horrible bosses. Yeah. 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 What yeah. better way? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll make it happen. So, so, I, God, we got introduced by a mutual friend over a year ago. We sat down at one of my favorite coffee shops, Barista Parlor. Or yeah, Parlor. Yeah. Shout out to Barista Parlor. Uh, and, and we talked then, and and um, you sent me a short. Uh, I think it was the Kanichiwa Kid. 
And yeah. um, me and my partner, Nick, we looked at that, we reviewed it, and we were starting to sort of build our um, uh, consultancy and, and, and sort of brand coverage chops at that time. And so it was, it was a great thing to review and to see. Uh, and since then, you've just been incredibly busy. But, but one thing I never um, really uh, fully knew is, is sort of your past. So I know we talked a little bit about that a year ago, but I'd love for you to sort of jump into um, how did this all start for you? Did you um, watch a movie and did that spark your mind? Did someone in your family buy you a camera at a young age? What, what happened? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think for me, I mean, I've always had, you know, this connection to film. I think it came about in different ways. Um, I can remember, you know, being a kid watching, you know, films like Forrest Gump and Jurassic Park and always being super, super attracted to just the real whimsical aspect of these films. And and, and on top of that, the music, man, the, the scores used to bring me in as a kid and I could I could always hum and whistle like my favorite parts from the film. So I think I had early on a connection to the musical side of it and just just the amazement and the wonderment of, 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 of being able to be sucked into these worlds. So I kept that with me um, as a kid, as a teenager growing up. I didn't really seriously, you know, dive into film until college. Um, and I got my first, I guess, taste of directing, actually doing the, uh, the campus news. So there was a, you know, we, we had Tiger News at uh, Tennessee State University, and uh, it was a 6 p.m. show, hour long got in the hot seat and ran it and it felt great. I mean, I remember having so much excitement just being able to tell the cameras when, when to move, where to go, when to cut, you know, telling the sound to, to come up full when it was time for a new microphone to be turned on. So those things just really stuck with me in that one experience. And from there, it just kind of blossomed into, into you know, taking a stab at, you know, reality TV and then eventually landing in, in narrative, narrative film. So I think, from 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 a kid, it's always been there. But doing that, that uh, directing that show at, at TSU really really sparked that interest there. What was the name of the show at TSU? It was it was just Campus News, so it was Tiger News. Oh, uh, it oh just, was it, the Tiger News, like a broadcast. Yeah, the Tiger yeah. News. Yeah, it was a broadcast. It was a live broadcast to the to the campus, um, and it, it was every Wednesday at like I think it was six p.m. and it was an hour long. And I mean, you know, you would get in there and. You would have your headset, and it, it had the whole thing. You know, you had the soundboard and the switcher board, and you had it was a four camera setup, so you had all the different uh, cameras up on the screen, and you would watch it, and you would call, you know, ready one, and you know the camera would come up, and you would call cut to one, and the person would cut, and it was just it was a real a real fun experience, man. It just it it, it felt good to be able to be in that hot seat and and kind of command what was going on on screen, and then knowing that 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 it was going out to the campus live and that people were watching it. That was another, you know, experience in itself, just being able to be like, wow, like people are watching this right now. I can't, the, the content was, wasn't ever really that good, but the experience in terms of like directing that show and then knowing that it's going out live, it was just, it was, it was great for me. And, and I'm so uh, interested in, in, in how you ended up going into reality TV versus the newsroom. So how did that, well, how is it? How is it that you ended up doing reality reality TV instead of maybe pursuing um, a career as a as a as a broadcast anchor? Yeah, yeah. I, I never really had a strong interest uh, for going into news. So, so I, I think 
directing that news program was was a quick way for me to to get my feet wet and, and see if I really liked directing. I think at the time um, there was just a lot of interest in reality TV. Period on, on on television. You know, MTV had Real World and you know all these different Jersey Shore. So it was it was easy to kind of look at at that world and say, oh, I think I could do that. If, if I'm doing the news and I'm, you know, calling these shots, I think I could, I can jump into that and, and try my hand there. And, you know, I, I ended up, you know, linking up with a lot of great folks that were working in television at the time and, you know, got, you know, a taste in, in a lot of the, the MTV stuff. And, you know, I did that whole thing and, and it was fun, but I think ultimately like my goal wasn't ever to, to say, oh, I, I want to specifically go for, news directing. I, I was just open to the entire process, man. I, I wanted to soak up as much as I could. And, and it just happened to go from directing the news to directing, you know, uh, short films and then into reality TV and working in that, in that area. And, I, and on the reality TV side, I, I really stuck more on the editing side. So it was interesting to see, uh, see that side of it as well, because so much of it you think is, and, and we all know this now, but so much of it is, is scripted. But at the time when reality TV was blowing up, you know, like Big Brother and stuff like that, it was like, man, how are these people getting all these shots? And they were capturing these perfect moments. And then you sit in the edit room and you realize that these the producers and the directors, they're, they're planning for these things. They're, they're writing this stuff down and saying, hey, we need to get this pickup shot of this guy saying this so we can match it to this, this part here, you know? So it was a real, a real interesting experience. And it, it, it gave me a, a good rounded thought process of how I should approach the narrative films. And, and what was the reality show, uh, that you worked on that you edited on? Uh, it was, it never came out, but it was one called soccer moms. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I can already see where that was, was going to go. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was soccer moms, like these chicks down in, uh, Daytona. Uh, was it Daytona? It was somewhere down in Florida. And, um, just following them around they were they basically they joined into a team and then they had to play this this one like major match um against each other and it was it was crazy i mean the 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 ladies were like at each other's throats like half the time so it was interesting to see a lot of that stuff happening i mean it was crazy. I, I really can't. I mean, it was all a blur because I did so much editing on it, but it was it was fun. So yeah. it, was, it was basically like the pageant moms shows, but on a soccer field. Yeah, basically. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like you take the you know soccer moms and you know they they're on the sidelines and they're yelling and you know you know the kids are are you know trying to calm them down, but you just take that same energy and attitude and put them in the game and they have to learn the game because these uh, the moms that were on the team they didn't know how to play soccer, so they had a coach, a real coach, and he taught them how to play the game and and from there you know the emotions and attitudes collide and personalities you know collide and and you got reality tv so so yeah yeah because one of the things i was i've always been interested in is and you know these things are scripted but i've always wondered as an editor uh, Mm -hmm. are you editing the take in a way where you've created the narrative where you've created the shot that was needed and then the storyline that was needed in reality tv specifically uh, I think that you you are aware of that. There's usually, I mean, the um, the story, the script supervisor, or the story editor, they they usually craft out points that you can kind of take 
like they'll give you the time code and say, oh, this person said this at this moment. And they'll build the story just from, you know, the, the uh, transcript that they have. So there's already a framework there and you're going and you're finding these shots, but you're, you're also paying attention to what other, what other shots you have. So if you, if someone says, oh, you know, here's a, here's a red dog and this red dog did this great thing. You're in your mind. You're like, okay, I know this person said this, somebody on day three of, you know, a 10 day shoot may say something about some other red dog and you just pull that shot and butt it up. So it doesn't always happen in sequence. And you, you just have to, you kind of build this like cache of, of like shots that happen and things that are said. And, and at the right moment, you just recall it and say, Oh, this makes sense. And hope that it, that it's a, a good fit, you know? Yeah. 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 That, that's, that's great. Cause and that answers a lot of questions for me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because of all the reality TV I, I, I consume, I, that's, just watch so much of it. Actually, no, I I don't. But but I um. But I've seen I was gonna say I don't it. take you for a reality TV yeah, guy yeah. at I, all. I, <laughs> I don't. But I but I appreciate sort of what they do. I appreciate the craft, and I understand why it's popular with so many people. Um, I I am curious that you, you're coming from a you fell in love with this um, and directing specifically in college, doing an, essentially a college news show, and then you make that transition into narrative and, and, you know, what, um, what was that challenge like and how did you overcome that challenge of having to now deal with the complexities of being a film director and dealing with actors instead of anchors and all the different types of, um, obstacles that just come with a set versus a new set? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, honestly, people are people. So, you know, actors aren't, aren't too much different from, from anchors, they're all personalities, you know, and then a lot of them are a lot of fun, but they also need, you know, a lot of support as well. And I think, you know, learning the the language of actors is, is honestly, it's this like mysterious process, but really it's just talking to the actors and supporting them in their process. A lot of it is just allowing, allowing them to have the freedom to create the character that they want to create because you casted them for this for a specific project. A lot of it is just allowing them to explore that character and come up with, you know, cool ways of, of, of performing. So the transition from what I remember, wasn't too difficult. I mean, I think being a first time director of any film is scary because you, you don't know the language. You, you only know, you know, what you've prepared. So if you, if you've done your homework, and you have a good sense of the character that you're trying to create, you're usually okay. And I think starting out, I mean, I don't know anybody that's just right out the bat working with, you know, Denzel Washington or, you know, you know, uh, Viola Davis or anybody like that, but you work with folks that are growing along with you and, and you build up this, um, this kind of relationship to where you can explore as a director and then you can also let your actors explore as actors. You're all finding out this process and learning this process together. And I think it, it creates a good safety, a safe space to, 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 to learn. You know, you don't want to work with anybody that's, that's not allowing you to have that safe space, you know? Does that make sense? It makes, it makes, it does make sense. And, and I, um, I am surprised it wasn't a challenge, uh, for you to make that transition. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that your explanation of it 
helps me understand it, which is that it wasn't necessarily that it wasn't a challenge. It was just that you're there with people who are growing with you. So you're in a safe place to explore, maybe make mistakes, maybe get a second shot. And they're right. because they're actually doing the same thing. Yeah, um, yeah, and I, I think if you if you go into it with with an open mindset, I mean, if if I were going from news into narrative film, and like I said, I you know my first film is with Denzel, I would be scared as crap. Mm-hmm. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't know like what to say to him or how to how to handle him. You know, because he's such a, a powerful force. You know that you, you want to make sure that that you respect what he brings to the table, but you also have to earn their respect too. So, so a lot. Of, I think it, it it can be a challenge for for anybody, but I think if you approach it in a way to where you know you're growing with the actors that you're working with, it's a lot easier. And I think that that was my experience. You know, I've heard that when Denzel walks through the door onto any set, uh, there's a an audible thunderclap that can be heard. <laughs> I believe it. Every I believe time. it, man. <laughs> I love that guy, man. Like I, I love his acting, man. Like, geez, he is a force, man. I, I feel like every time I see him on screen, it's just, you get so sucked up in his performance. And he's one of those guys that no matter what, no matter what you look at him and you don't think Denzel, you think, you, you believe that he is a character that he's presenting to you at that moment. And that is the true sign of, of, of any actor that you look at this person, you don't see Denzel, you see the character that they're putting on. And that's, that's the crazy thing, you know, it is. And I'm going to probably have you talk about Denzel and, and, and some other folks here a little later too. So um, <laughs> it's good. It's good knowing you have that admiration up front. Um, yeah. But now you're, you're, you're well past that time where you're making that transition. You know, what, what right now is your biggest challenge? What, what uh, keeps you up at night? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think money is always an issue for a lot of a lot of filmmakers. You know, I think that that has been you you have you have big ideas and you want to try to go all out on a lot of them, and you run into obstacles. You, you're able to do some of them the way that you want to do, but a big part of it is is accepting that you may not have the funds to pull off a certain stunt or you know, build a set the way you want it to, to be built. You know, I think, uh, I think money is, is, is always going to be an obstacle for, for a lot of filmmakers. And I think right now for me, that's probably in the forefront of my mind. If I, if I have a new project that I want to do, I'm thinking about, all right, how can I find the funds to pay the right people to be on the team, you know, get the right actors, you know, in, in the right space. And luckily for me, I've been able to, to build up a good support base to where I could do an Indiegogo. We just did a, a successful Indiegogo for this last film and raised close to 9500 uh, or $9,000. So I'm, I'm like thankful and I'm amazed that people support me in that way. Um, but just thinking about it, like my next project, I'm like, oh man, where am I going to find? I can't, I can't keep going back and asking for, you know, asking all my friends and family for, for more money. And they're like, man, we're, we're funding every single film you got to do. Like, where, when are we going to see a retirement thing, you know? Yeah. So, well, well yeah. I think, I think you certainly can go back and ask them again and again. And, um, <laughs> it, it's funny because, um, uh, it, I can't remember what comedian said it, but I thought it was so true that, um, you, when you're ugly, you have to find that out on your own <laughs> because nobody tells you you're ugly, right? right? People tell you all the time that you look good. Like if you're handsome yeah. or, or you're, or you're beautiful, like, you know, then people will tell you, 
But no yeah. one will tell you you're ugly. You kind of have to just figure out why you weren't invited, right? Yeah. And, and I think the same thing is true with, with family support because this is a narrative that I would say Nick and I have heard for the last 10 years. And yeah. it's, yeah, my, my you know, significant other doesn't support me in this. Or my family, I wanted them to help me. They didn't help me with this. And um, you could probably imagine this, Spence, but uh, mm-hmm. I get I get asked a lot to do uh, just, hey, will you quickly just tell so-and-so what you think about this? Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't have to be in film. A lot of times, because I have a background in music, you know, tell me what you think about this, this, this. Right. It happens all the time. Right. And right. and it's, it's, it's <laughs> it, basically... If you're really talented, I think your family will always just keep spending money on you. <laughs> I, I think they will. And, and when and when that well dries up, you have to start asking uh, yourself questions about you know the quality of the art you're putting out. Yeah. Right. Because because when I was a musician, you could always tell if you were doing a good job uh, in your songwriting and in your craft because you would always have a couch to sleep on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When nobody wanted to offer up that couch anymore, you knew you had a problem. Uh, (laughs) yeah you had to to figure it out oh shit maybe i'm not a good artist um maybe 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 my girlfriend hates my rapping right like so like you hear i've heard that a million times i've heard oh maybe you know maybe my my significant other doesn't really like the way i sing and we we saw that play out like on american idol when it was brand new right people would come through They've been told by their entire family they can sing, but the reality is, is their family didn't want to hurt their feelings. Right. And then they right, find out on yeah. national TV that, that they actually can't sing. So, but, but I do want to go back to that money question. You know, um, there was a movie shot a couple of years ago. It came out last year. I think it was called Unsane. It was Steven Soderbergh movie. He shot mm-hmm. the entire thing on an iPhone. Uh, it, uh, uh, the new red, there's going to be a, a new red, uh, camera yeah, phone come yeah. out. The, the iPhones yeah. are getting better and better. Are these cameras and these types of phones, are they democratizing film at all? Is it becoming less expensive or is the expense of it all really just still come down to the talent you can get? Uh, I think. And post, uh, of course. Yeah, I would agree with you that it is. I mean, it, it it's definitely easier to to make a film in terms of, you know, gear being available in terms of, you know, lighting being available. Everything has gotten so much more, I guess, I don't want to say cheap because a lot of it isn't cheap, but it's just, it's it's easier to get get hands on the pieces of equipment that you need to, to make a film. Now, if you start thinking about film in terms of certain aesthetics, I don't believe that, um, like you're not, if, if you want to do a sci-fi film, you want to shoot on some anamorphic glass, you're going to have to really think through how to piece together an iPhone and an anamorphic lens and make it work for your entire shoot. You know, like it, there's still, there's still some difficulty there. I think if your, your story calls for it and you can use an iPhone, then go for it. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, there are cameras that, you know, like the black magic cameras, they shoot just as, you know, they, they shoot images that are just as beautiful as, you know, the Alexa. And I think, um, people are starting to realize that and you do have to be really smart with how you shoot on those cameras. Like you can't expect your iPhone 10 to be the best low light camera or to look, you know, on on a big screen, it's not going to look the best it can be without, you know, enough lighting and enough, um, 
you know, basically enough lighting to make sure there's a clean image going in. So you can't expect it to, to work the way that, that an Alexa is going to work for you. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think we're, we're definitely in a good, we're definitely in a good time in terms of gear being available for you using your shoots. I think when it comes to the other parts, post-production and acting and talent and stuff like that, it's, you still, you still got to dig deep to, to really, you know, find the right people and cast the right folks for your project. You know, this, the one that I just did message red, um, we took, it was probably, I don't know, maybe we pushed back the date, maybe three times to make sure we can get the right talent on board. And, you know, we got two, two actors that are just monster actors and it's probably been one of the best experiences working with them, um, you know, on this project. And, and I think, you know, so many people kind of settle for the the actors that they, that they don't really want. They just, you know, feel like, Oh, I can just pull, you know, I can pull the performance out of anybody. And that's not the case all the time. You know, you, you really do have to cast with a very specific intention and a very specific thought process in mind. So I think overall, to answer your question, it is easier to, to make a film in terms of gear, but still making a good film is, is difficult. Yeah. And this is the second time that, that you sort of alluded to the value of being really focused and, and knowing what you want in terms of casting. And it feels yes. like that's really important, you know, critical, essential advice for yeah. new directors. And, and so along that line, that theme, was there any advice you got or, or you continue to get or, or advice that you kind of keep in the back of your mind right now that that has, um, you know, driven your career forward? And, and who did it come from? Yeah, yeah. I actually got some really great advice on on this last project from Rico Ross, who plays Gwen uh, in my film. And uh, Rico has had, you know, uh, maybe like a 30 year career in L.A., he was in. Uh, he was Private Frost in Aliens, the nineteen eighty-seven. I think it was mm-hmm. the uh, yeah, James Cameron uh, film, and he was Private Frost in that film, and he was great. And he just did this uh, national Audi commercial, and that's how we that's how we found him. Um, but we had dinner after the shoot, and you know, probably one of the best pieces of advice that he gave was just the fact that. One director called him up. He was working on a feature film, and uh, they did the audition. They did the screen test, and they called him. The uh, director called him up one day and just said, "Hey, man, I cast you in this film. You bring what you want to bring to the table." And he left it at that. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't give him any notes about you know how to perform certain parts or what to bring to the character. He said, "Hey, this I chose you for this film." Now you bring what you want to bring to it. And, and now, and that, that's powerful right there. Just knowing that, that you, as, as, as a director, you do have an idea of what you want, but you, you cast, you cast the right, the right people because you know that they're going to bring that extra up to it. And they're going to bring something that's going to, that's going to make you think even deeper about your character. And it's going to surprise you. And, and yeah, yeah. I, I, I really, enjoy that thank you for that because yeah. i immediately related it back to my father who used to say something similar not mm-hmm. to me but i would overhear him say it to, to others which was don't ask me to do a thing and then tell me how to do it so that so the idea is you need if you need someone to do something for you because you can't do it yourself 
the worst thing you can do is then tell that person how to be innovative around the task. Right. Yep. Um, yep. Right. Yep. Because, because you're already one foot uh, in the mud because you, you needed the help in the first place. Right. You, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, right. So, so make those. And then there's also just a business rule around it, which is don't tell your employees how to innovate. Um, yeah. <laughs> I keep, I keep uh, 12 rules up on my, I have a big giant whiteboard in my office. It's 10 by five. So it's 10 wow. feet wide and five feet tall and yeah. it's right behind me. So I can write my ideas out freely. I recommend mm-hmm. everybody get it. It's about a $200 investment and it's well worth it. Yeah. Uh, and it works so much better than let's say one you would get from office Mac office right. or, or, or wherever. Yeah. And, um, and it's one of the rules. It's one of the 12 rules, which is don't tell your employees how to innovate. And I a lot of that. times your employees will. And if you look at a cast a member like an employee, a lot of times they will surprise you with their innovation. Um, mm-hmm. I think back to Benicio del Toro's uh, role in usual suspects mm-hmm. sort of launched his career. That was definitely not how he was supposed to play that character. Right. And um, I think Stephen Baldwin turned to him and said, are you going to keep talking like that? He goes, <laughs> yeah. He, he goes, yeah, I think this is how I'm going to do it. So, and that's, that's, that's how we got. Um, I think uh, his character was Finster. Um, yeah. So yeah, very, very good stuff. Um, I I got, I got one story to share that's completely unrelated to this. So you were talking about, um, you know, like the big whiteboard. So I, so I recently moved to, I recently moved to you have to, you have, you have to, you have to clear, you have to be very clear in your language, Spence, because it almost sounded like, it almost sounded like you said, uh, you were talking about the big white boy. Oh, no, no. I'm sorry, man. My my Virginia slash Tennessee accent is mm. just the worst. Sometimes I'm like, how do I even shout out to I, Trey McLearnon? Man, <laughs> you know, honestly, like, anyway, listen, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna tell this one quick, quick story because I don't want, okay. I don't want to, but Go anyway, so, so uh, we were moving apartments, me and my girlfriend. I have this huge, um, it's like a, I don't know, like five by. I guess five or four by six, uh, frosted glass, uh, dry erase board. Mm-hmm. So I, I was moving it to my new apartment. I pick it up, you know, it's glass. So I'm picking it up and carrying it. And it's, I'm walking fro- outside. It's, fro- it's frosted glass. Yeah, I'm, frosted. So, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm trying to, I'm trying to understand what we're talking about. This is a whiteboard made of frosted glass. Yes. So it's, I mean, it's, it's a dry erase board. I don't want to call it a whiteboard cause then you get the, the image of a whiteboard in your head, but just imagine like a sheet of glass, like a frosted pane of glass, okay. like almost a, like a, uh, like a teal color or, or like a tint of just a tint blue kind of color. Um, really heavy, really like, I mean, it's, 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 it looks just like a big, big window, but you write on it and you can, you know, erase your stuff and everything. Oh yeah. Anyway, okay. I got you. I'm with you. Yeah. So, so I'm carrying this thing to the U-Haul and I got it between my arms and I'm like, all right, this thing is heavy, but I'm going to do it. I don't have any help. I'm just going to do it. So my girlfriend is like, all right. So I pick it up. We start walking. She's opening up every door. We got to go through like three or four of them. We get to the outside. I'm like, all right, I got this thing. I'm like, my arms are already starting to shake. I take one step down this little (laughs) path. It was like three steps. My arms are shaking and out of nowhere, this entire glass panel shatters in my hands, literally shatters, and I'm showered with glass. It was so much glass. And I, like, 
I was in shock, man, like, because I, I never, I didn't think it was going to do that. And I'm, like, looking at the ground, and it's glass everywhere. But luckily, I didn't, like, get seriously injured. I had a few nicks on my arm. But, man, it was a crazy experience. And my girlfriend was like, I didn't know what to do. It, it looked like something out of the Matrix. Like, it was just, like, slowly falling over you. Like, I didn't know what to do in the moment. So, <laughs> so the pressure you were putting on it because it was so heavy <laughs> yeah. caused the glass inside to shatter? I didn't know my own strength in that moment, man. I just, I was, oh I was gripping it so tight that I, I shattered this, this, you know, four by six plexiglass or frosted glass board, man. Oh it was God. crazy. It well, was crazy. You either do or don't have a future in, uh, massage. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say stunt work because <laughs> that's what I thought of. It's like, man, I could, I could probably do a good stunt, stunt scene now. Like yeah. some glass. You, are, <laughs> you are lucky. As soon as you told me the glass shattered in your hands, I just got this immediate image of John McClane in Die oh. Hard. Jumping through a glass pane window. No, I don't think I'd ever be that cool, man. That's, that's, that's a good movie. I love that one, man. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're still with us, man. Yeah, was, thank you, thank you, thank you. That, that was harrowing. Yeah, that's insane. So, <laughs> by the way, did you replace it? No, I haven't replaced it yet. I haven't oh, replaced it. Okay, you know what I, to do. You know what to do now. Get you the whiteboard paint. Get you yeah. the. You got to wear a big mask, or it'll poison you. Open up all your windows. <laughs> so just don't like don't skip any steps. And, Why? And, then you, and then you just you just tape you just tape the wall and you just paint it and it dries overnight. And when you wake up in the morning, you have a big shiny whiteboard. It's great. Jeez. These whiteboards and glass boards are pretty dangerous, man. I, I didn't, I didn't yeah. expect this to be dangerous. Yeah, the, <laughs> we're just the, trying to get out our ideas, you know. Exactly. Yeah, the paint <laughs> is like a huffing weed killer, I guess. So yeah, don't don't do that. Uh, <laughs> we we um we kind of talked about that advice um, that you got and 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 some of your casting advice to mm. first time directors um, and filmmakers. Uh, piggybacking on that a little bit, um, you, you now have had the opportunity to sort of network. You, you're in LA, you're in Nashville, you're you're sort of um, all over. You, you're seeing a lot of different creatives work. Are, are you watching and and kind of noticing any creative and business mistakes they're making? And if so, what are they? Hmm. As, uh, specifically, newcomers too. Like, are, are, yeah. Yeah, I think uh I think the biggest mistake is I, I preach about this all the time, man, and I'm and I'm a I'm a I'm a hawk about this. Pre production. I I just feel like you gotta take that stuff seriously as a as a filmmaker and as a director. What whatever area you're in, you need to take pre production serious. You gotta you gotta think through those two hundred shots that you got listed down. You got to think through your blocking so you can tell your actors what to do. You got to think through, even when it comes to lighting, I know you, you hire the right team to, to, to help you execute that vision, but you got to think through those things before anybody else. You know, you got to present the ideas and, and present it in a way that makes sense to other people. You got to be a good communicator, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so many folks skip out on the storyboard process because they think that they have they got the film in their brain, which a lot of us can do. But when it comes time to translate that to other people and, and put it in front of the camera, it falls short because you didn't take the steps to to figure out, oh, this light won't work 
in this room because of that reason. This actor doesn't feel comfortable doing it this way. He thinks that it should do that you should do it this way. You know, one of the moments that I had on set on this last film, this came from Rico again. Um, I didn't know how I wanted this one scene to be blocked. They were sitting at it was two guys sitting at a desk. And I was like, man, I've, I've been thinking through this. I'm kind of stuck. Like, what what should we do? So I gave I gave Rico. I was like, hey, so Rico, just try this. I, I made I basically gave him the shape of a V. He gets up from the desk. He walks to this door, and then he walks to a second mark in the center of the floor. Mm-hmm. So he he did it the first time, and he stood up and he's doing the monologue, and he gets to his first mark, and he's like he's doing the the lines, and all of a sudden he's like, this is weird. And then he pauses and then he keeps going. And I was like, man, that was like an interesting moment because just by 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 saying like, hey, I don't know the exact blocking that I want to do, but I want you to try this and let's see if it works. And hearing him say, this is weird. It told me like, oh, man, like I could try this. I should try this a different way. It's probably a better way of doing it. He's got some ideas. And then I, 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 I at least I knew how to get to that point so that we could figure out the next thing. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Yeah. Yeah. I love love the practicality of the story too. Yeah. 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 It's just like, you know, if you don't, if you don't give it any forethought and then you walk on set and you're trying to explore, you, you haven't given yourself the, the chance to, to explore because you're trying to think the, the very first thing that's coming to your head. You know, that's not, I think, Creativity can sometimes happen when it's just that jolt of that jolt of genius, but a lot of the time it's you're thinking on the the hundredth attempt of something. You know, you're yeah. you're you've hammered out you know all the different processes, and and you're on you know idea or or try number you know two thousand of <laughs> of a certain way of doing something. So in that moment, I just I was like, wow, I was like really. It was just a a, a a light bulb. It was like, man, I'm glad that I thought through that somewhat, just so we can get to this point, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that so I feel like I'm just just point. taking your time. No, not at all. I mean, but but this idea of taking your time with it, and then I love the humility of of not being mm-hmm. um, um, the type of person that says, "No, I'm the director." Yeah, but, but you're looking at Rico and saying. What do you think about this? Try this out and willing to take that feedback. And, and, and some people take feedback, but they don't take it honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's so important to take the feedback with grace and, and yeah. humility so that you actually absorb it and then reconsider um, how you might approach it. And and I look at um, going into a process where you, like you have a, a new director, a new filmmaker, fresh out of film school and and you're working with them, let's say, and you have a month to teach them how to, to do the job, a month to, to teach them how to be competent. What, what do you think, like keeping that teacher hat on that you just had and that practical mm-hmm. hat on, if you had a month to teach them what to do, like three things, what, what would those top three things be? Top three things. So first off, we would spend... 29 days out of the 30 in this month. Wow. Just, just on (laughs) pre-production. We will spend, we will spend that amount of time just on pre-production. Um, because I, I feel like so much of you learn how to be a director on the set. That's just one thing. You you can't avoid it. It's going to happen. You're going to get a set. You're going to make mistakes, but you can do all that you can 
beforehand leading up to this shoot. You can do all that you can, and you should try to do all that you can leading up to that shoot. Because when you get on set, things are going to happen. You're going to experience different things. You're going to learn different things. You're going to learn about yourself and other people. But do do your homework leading up to it. That, and honestly, I would, I would just keep it at that. Not even three things. I would just keep it on the pre-production side. Like, hey, spend as much time as you can pre-visiting out that idea. You know, you, and, I'm, and I'm not saying you got to, if it's just two people sitting in a car, if you feel comfortable and you know what it's going to look like, you can at least for your, for your DP or for your uh, set deck folks, you can at least just take two of your friends, sit them in the car and snap a, a quick photo of what you think the shot is going to look like. Mm-hmm. That, that eliminates so much guesswork for people, you know, it just, it makes it so much easier. Is that something you do uh, as part of your process? Do you do you go around kind of snap pictures and, or do you just Google? yeah yeah? I've seen a lot of people just kind of Google and pull into a lookbook and and do that. Or do you do yeah. you prefer being more hands on and taking the actual pictures of 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 sort of what you want to see? Uh, yeah, in, yeah. In it's, pre-production? It can go. It can go either way for me. I I, I actually started as I started as a shooter, so I, I my eye has. And my my feelings have always been very strong about cinematography. So whenever I get a chance to just pick up a camera, I'm usually excited to do it. So um, if if it calls for that, then I will do that. If I can snag a Google or a Pinterest image and it works, then I'll use that. Um, I can draw a little bit. I'm not a Picasso or anything, but you know I can <laughs> I can sketch up some thoughts. But but so for this film for Message Red, I learned Cinema 4D to do my previs mm-hmm. so that I could build, because the, the film takes place in the afterlife in this room that basically the room started as this all white minimalistic space. And then it goes to color halfway through. And just saying that to people, you can get so many different ideas of how that's supposed to look. So I learned cinema 4d and I used, um, Google SketchUp. And just took some elements from their warehouse and brought it into Cinema 4D. And it was it was difficult, man. A Cinema 4D is not an easy program to learn. I mean, it's really, really detailed. But, you know, I, I, I built out the previs and, and folks were able to look at it and say, hey, like, I understand what this guy is trying to do. And, and it makes sense. And, you know, I just feel like whatever way you got to do it to get it to get the idea out of your brain into a, a tangible form that people can see you, you do that go that route is there anything from a craft standpoint you would teach on day 30 you know once you've taught them pre-production now they've got to go shoot hmm. as a director it's hard to say i, I want to say no know what type of emotions you're 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 looking for like notate your script and at least have have your script ready so that if you get to a moment, you're like, oh, I don't know what I'm looking for out of this scene, or I, I can't exactly remember the moments that I'm looking for. You can you can look at your script and say, oh, you can write one word, like anger. And that one word may trigger uh, some some memory or some thought of like, oh, we did it this way. And, and, and you can utilize that and say like, oh, okay, well, let's try this way first and explore. Mm-hmm. I think as a director, you do want to do your homework on that side of the script in terms of emotion, like notating that script, try to have, try to have, uh, you know, enough table reads so that you can get a feel for your actors, but don't, don't have them 
try to do the table read and, and go all out. You you don't want to you don't want to exhaust them and have them giving this super emotional performance before they actually need to do it on camera. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it really does. It really does. And and um I yeah, I appreciate that. I know there's it's hard to and we've had other creatives say this because there's there is a fine line, but it it is a distinct line between guidance slash consultation and advice. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. most creatives don't like advice. Yeah. Uh, and, and and so <laughs> um I, I do like this idea of of creating guidance of, and saying, okay, let me guide you and then from there, it's your voice. From there, yeah. try to pull out and whatever you're trying to emote, right? So, yeah. uh, really, really good stuff. I know you talked earlier about Denzel, and and um, we could probably talk about his genius and his work for <laughs> for another hour for sure. Yeah. Um, but is there anyone else? Like when you got into this, is there is there a director? Is there a cinematographer, editor? Is there anyone in the creative realm? that you've been trying to emulate or you try to emulate or, or you would love to be as good as and, and what do they do from a skill or technical standpoint that makes them stand apart for you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Spielberg was always somebody that I wanted to, to, to emulate, man. I just feel like he has such a powerful, powerful command over the visual language. I mean, I think he can tell you so many things from one single shot and, Every time I look at a film of his, so I saw, um, did you see Ready Player One? Uh, yes. What did you think about that? Did you think it was good? Um, it's not the book. Yeah. See, but, I haven't read but, the book. I but, haven't read the book. Oh, okay. So, so then you're in great shape and it was a great movie then. Yeah, yeah. I, so, I really yeah. enjoyed it. I and, really enjoyed and it. And visually, it's, yeah. it's pristine. Oh, it's it's, it's, it's money, yeah. man. It's yeah. money. But I, I feel like when you watch a Spielberg film... I know for me, I'm taken back to, to my childhood. And a lot of people say that, but what that really means is you're reminded of the the emotions that you feel when you watch a Spielberg film from, you know, thinking about Jurassic Park. I remember the moment when, when that velociraptor comes creeping into the kitchen and his claws just tapping on that floor and you see the kids and the fear in their eyes and everything like that. Like those are the moments that that really stuck with me as a kid. And I find myself trying to emulate that when it comes to my film. So Spielberg, when it comes to command of visual language um, and just the, the whimsical aspect of his stories, um, I think everyone, especially black filmmakers, we all want to be like Spike. I think Spike is just Mm -hmm. a creative, like the way that this guy is able to, to use his voice and, and, in so many different ways, be in your face, but then also bring this style and this swag to, to his films that, that no one else really can do. Um, I've always loved that and always tried to emulate that. And I think Tarantino is another one. Tarantino for me is, even though I have a love-hate relationship with him because I feel like <laughs> so much of his stuff is like, you know, right. you know, taken from from older films, but he, he's, you know, paying, you know, homage to these films or, or whatever you want to call it. But I, I think that his writing is just spot on. I mean, you can't when you hear when you hear a, a Tarantino film and you just listen to it. That writing is crazy, and I've always tried to emulate that as well. Um, from the, I got a lot of folks. So from the uh, cinematography side, Deakins has always been a guy that I love. Um, I just feel like he 
He's a, he just does it so effortlessly. And the thing that I love about him is that he's not approaching film from so much of a technical aspect. It's, it's all about feeling for him. And this is going back to just my thoughts as, like, and, and advice for early directors. You can't approach it, – it's dangerous to, uh, to approach any type of art with a, a super serious technical mindset mm-hmm. because it's art. It, it's, it doesn't, it's like, you're trying to box in water, you know, like art is, <laughs> is this art is just free, you know, free flowing thing that, that you have to, you have to trust your instincts. You have to be, you have to allow yourself to be surprised and, 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 and surprised at, at, you know, at different moments and different things. So if you see something, if you plant the camera and you see a light, you know, coming in a certain way, and and you're walking around and you're trying to figure out where it is, you know, what's what's going to be the best look. And you see something else, like move the camera there. Tr- trust your instincts. And I feel like Deacons explains that in a good way. Like he always talks about, I, I don't I don't care about the f stops or the t stops or you know the 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 special you know gizmos and gadgets. I just I just I just wanted to feel good. And and that's what I really enjoy about his his style of cinematography gotcha. no, he's like okay. he's like the he's like the goat man like this guy is he's done so many so many films so many films I, and that the one that always stands out to me is um, yeah, the, um skyfall right skyfall uh, yeah the one skyfall most recently yeah and, yeah 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 mm-hmm. but uh um uh what is it no country for old men like i uh, love no country for old men. he did yeah. he did that because yeah. that's one of that's yeah. in my top 10 yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, one of my favorite yeah. movies ever. So, yeah. A little, um, little tidbit for me. What What is your favorite movie of all time? Out of curiosity, if you had, you to- can't, you can't ask filmmakers that, man. That's like that's. This that's is why this, this is why I don't even ask the question. But I, <laughs> but I am curious with you. Like, uh, if you had to give me three in no order, what would they be? So you're you're on uh, an island. You you have access to three films. You can take with you on the island. Yeah. What, what it, three do you grab? It would be. The Matrix, mm-hmm. Forrest Gump, mm-hmm. and this is going to be bad, but <laughs> but Bloodsport. <laughs> oh, no. Bloodsport, Bloodsport, <laughs> awesome! <laughs> like, like, so, I'm so, sorry, it's objectively awesome. Like, uh, you know. Um, it's it's, it's, it's like it's like when people say they they love the Goonies or Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I don't begrudge them that. I'm like, yeah, that's a movie uh, yeah. I'd want to watch over and over and over again if I was on an island. Yeah, for the rest yeah. of my life, and I could only pick three movies. Yeah, I'm picking a movie like that. I'm picking a movie that I can just pop in and watch. Yeah, and just it's pure, full on entertainment. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, and this, yeah this, just... in this recent sort of Forrest Gump backlash, I just feel like. There are people on Twitter who just say things for shock value. They don't even mean it. Wait, what? What happened? I, I didn't hear about this. It's not really recent, but it, but maybe in the last ten years, there's been mm-hmm. a little pushback as to why Forrest Gump gets the praise it gets. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Um, it's it's to me, it's one of the best Tom Hanks films. Um, yeah. Period. And it's it's a great it's in a great movie. It's a great movie. Period. So. Um, yeah. I just, I don't want to, I don't even want to harp on it because it would just change the whole tone of our conversation, Spence. <laughs> no worries, no worries, no worries. We're moving past it. It's already it's happened. Just, it's I'm, I gotta, I gotta, let me just take a deep breath. No. Uh, 
<laughs> no, good. This is this has been a blast, man. I I appreciate it. Yeah, man. You're in your car. It's late at night. Um, it's dark out. Like yeah, there are trees all around you. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone could be hiding. Also, Any, a Chipotle yeah. nearby, so I think yeah, I'm yeah, safe. Yeah. Good, good, good. Where there's a Chipotle, yeah, where there's Chipotle, there's there's good people. So, so tell. I know you have um, Message Red coming out. Tell yeah. us when we can watch that, where we can find you on the internet, and where we can find you on social media. Yeah, yeah. So social media, I'm on Instagram uh, and Facebook. Facebook is just Spencer Glover. Uh, Instagram is Spence.Glover. So just chop the, the letter R off of my first name. So Spence.Glover. Um, what else did you ask? Uh, Message Red. So we're in post for Message Red right now. The plan is to do a festival run starting in 2019. Um, we're going to aim for either Short of the Week or FilmShortage.com. And if we get accepted there, it'll be online for everyone to see. Uh, but it probably won't be until, I want to say, like early spring. See, But, man, we're super excited about it. It's, it's definitely one that's a, it's a very personal film, but it's also a lot of fun, man. And these, these actors, a shout-out to Rico Ross and uh, Jamar Gardner. Uh, these guys, like, laid it all out, man. And I'm so pleased with the performances. So, um, so yeah, 2019, it'll do the festival run, and, uh, and it'll be online. Yeah. What was the other the other thing you asked? Oh, uh, SpencerGlover.net is my website. That was the other thing. Awesome. Awesome. And I've been yeah, to SpencerGlover.net, folks. Uh, do go there. You can see all of his work there. He has quite a bit to offer on that page uh, in terms of his content. And I, I really love your film reel. Uh, some beautiful, beautiful shots in there. So uh, yeah, con- con- congrats to your growth. Congrats to everything you're doing. Uh, I'm super, super duper proud to just uh, be associated, affiliated with you and um, and your continued success. I, 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 you don't need any good luck from me, but I wish you good luck. Thanks, man. Thanks. I appreciate that a lot. And same to you, brother. I see you doing your thing out here, man. I see all these films coming out with, with the name on it. So I'm I'm excited for you and, and, and Nick as well, man. All right. Let's get together soon. This has been a blast. Thank you uh, so much, Spencer. Yeah, man. Thank you. All right, brother. Talk to you soon. Peace. Peace. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find more information on this week's creative, including links to their projects, social media, and transcripts of this interview, please visit our website at www.bonsai.film forward slash podcast. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step towards your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on Show Me How to schedule a free discovery meeting and needs assessment. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.